The world has gone insane. Cosplayers rule the conventions. Gamers dominate the tabletop and the internet. Sci-fi subjugates the movies and fantasy rules the bookstore with an iron fist. Only one group can bring order to this unruly mob. A team of uber geeks, masters of the nerdly arts, trained for decades in the hobby shops and basements of the nation. Mobilized by the secret masters, they are the Department of Nerdly Affairs. Hello, operatives, and welcome to the Department of Nerdly Affairs. I'm your host, Rob, here with my co-host, Don. Hey. To discuss a topic that I'm sure has concerned many people at one time or another. What are collectible card games, and why do they suck up so much of our money? To cover this topic, I've enlisted an expert, James Wegg of No Dice Games of London, Ontario. Welcome to the show, James. Thanks for having me. Awesome to have you here. Well, Don and I are generally familiar with CCGs, but I wanted to have someone who is a high-level player and game store owner and knows these things like the back of his hand, so I couldn't think of anyone better than you to bring in. <laughs> well, again, thanks. Love to, love to cover the topics as, as you uh, present them. <laughs> awesome. Um, actually, my first question, though, is, am I using the right term when I use CCG, collectible card game, or... Uh, you you are. Um, there are two types of card games out right at the moment. Uh, there's collectible card games, which is where you buy booster packs, and you, you have stuff mm-hmm. like chase rares and the like, and, you know, cards that you desire and usually have a high value because they're harder to harder to get. And the other one is called a living card game. Now, living card games are different in the respect that instead of get, having chase rares and booster packs, you actually get the entire like collection per pack. So every upgrade pack you get comes with mm-hmm. every card for every possible deck you could build. So it's more uh-huh. it's more of a stable market for that. And oh, okay. uh, people tend to be turning towards that right now because of the fact that it's only like $20 every two or three months to keep up. Whereas right. a collectible card game tends to be a little more expensive to stay competitive. Okay, well, th- I, that's interesting. I didn't know that there was that uh, difference between the two, but... Okay, let's take it actually even a step farther back. Can you define what a collectible card game is for our audience who might not be familiar with them? Sure. A collectible card game is a game where you uh, collect cards, so to speak, by buying booster packs or single cards from uh, retailers such as myself. And the idea is you build the decks within the parameters set down in the rules and play usually either casually or competitively with friends and people at other uh, other stores and the like. Um, okay. Most of the, sorry, go ahead. Sorry, I was going to interrupt. So what's the difference then between like collecting baseball cards and collecting these things? Like how do you um how do you use these things in a game to play a game? Well, it depends on the game. Like most of them are um set up where they have a thing they they do. Whereas a when you buy baseball and hockey cards, the des- the design of those is purely collectible. The mm-hmm. only thing you do with them is you put them in a binder and watch them accumulate value or not depending who it is and what year it is. Uh, a collectible card game, you use these cards for games. So you do stuff with them. Like uh, they have in-game effects, you can use them for various things. Uh, people do collect them as well, which is the collectible aspect. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, Magic the Gathering has certain cards that are worth thousands of dollars because of collectors. Okay, um, and they need these cards because it makes them more powerful and more effective in the game? Yes, uh, for the most part, uh, that that's why. It's why we call it a chase rare or a chase card, is because mm-hmm. it's something that you desire to have to play. Like, you want okay. this in your deck because it makes your deck better. 
Okay, okay. So, all right, that gives us a good base to work from, I think. Um, yeah. So, Don, do you have any questions before we go on? Uh, the only thing I was going to ask to uh, clarify for myself, because you mentioned, like, the, the living card game. And would that be something like uh, Cards Against Humanity? Uh, no, Cards Against Humanity is basically like the equivalent of a board game, I guess, but with cards. Right. Okay, it's not collectible. Like it does ex- add expansions, but they're controlled like and only released once every year or so. Whereas a living right. card game and like collectible card games tend to release expansions a lot faster. And there's the, you can build your decks and all that. Oh, okay. So a game like uh, Cards Against Humanity is more like Uno, for example. Yes, just a lot more vulgar. Just a lot more vulgar, (laughs) exactly. Okay. Uh, Depends how you play. That's true. That's very true. Uh, Speaking of, we actually have a Cards Against Humanity night coming up this Friday at our store. (laughs) Oh, man. (laughs) Well, I'm afraid, James, this probably won't air for another six weeks, so I'm afraid they'll be a little late to show up at your store. Uh, Honestly, we're going to be doing them a lot. Okay, well, okay, so if people show up at your store on a regular basis, there's a good chance they'll get to play Cards Against Humanity, sooner or later. So, I was going to ask, so what was the first collectible card game, then? What's the genesis of this whole thing? Now, I'm not 100% sure. I'm pretty sure it was Spellfire. Okay. Because I know that came before, like, just before Magic, but I was going to look up a timeline, but I didn't have enough time. But I'm pretty sure the first collectible card game I'm aware of was Spellfire. Mm -hmm. Which is the one that was based on Dungeons and Dragons. Right, yes. I've heard of Spellfire before. Um, yeah, that sounds about right. Um, Don, do you know anything that might be older? Uh, the only thing I can think of that was uh, older, and this is why I asked about the uh, the living game ideas, because it's more of the cards against humanity in that you would buy the, the, the set and there were upgrades to it, but it wasn't that you were collecting them. You'd kind of dish them out during play. Uh, the first one I can think of was Illuminati. Uh, Illuminati is actually not older by like it's older by than Magic by like a year or two. But I wouldn't consider that a collectible card game. It's like it, it kind of falls in. It's it's like the it's the predecessor to the Living Card Game, where it was a card game, but everyone could play out of one box. Whereas Living Card yeah. Games are designed for each person buys their own sets and builds decks from it. Okay, yeah, because the, the, I know Illuminati, the original one, came out in, like, 85 or 86. Yeah, I, I, was... I, I remember I had played it. I just didn't think that, like, I didn't consider that one a collectible card game. Yeah, it's the first card game I, I ever thought of. And yeah, you're right, because it's, you get one deck, and then you kind of dish out from that to everybody while playing. Mm-hmm. Mm. Did, didn't they bring it back, though, uh, as a collectible one in like uh, the late no 90s? what they did was steve jackson games re-released it as a uh, more modernized uh, better card quality version of itself oh okay hmm that makes sense well so if there's a huge card market why not right yeah. that was probably yeah. a good move okay so we start with spellfire now what would distinguish Actually, I should ask, have you actually played Spellfire, James? I've played a couple games of it, and one of the reasons it didn't really last is it was a really confusing game. It was mm. it's kind of what, it was all over the place, and I was really young. So right. was, I, my, my memory of it is very fuzzy at best. Um, I just remember playing lands and then different characters trying to build up certain numbers to beat their numbers. But mm-hmm. beyond that, I mean, the card quality was pretty poor. And right. uh, over overall, I did not enjoy it. Right. Although well, I do still find Spellfire cards randomly in my house. <laughs> <laughs> well, once they're like cockroaches. Once they get in, you can't get rid of them. That's fair. 
<laughs> or Yu-Gi-Oh cards. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> okay. All right then. Okay. So, um, well, I should ask then. So, what attracted you to collectible card games then? I mean, how old were you when you first played them? Um, I was uh, twelve or twelve or thirteen, and my father had been to Gen Con that year and brought Magic back. Ooh, and he okay. said, this game's going to be huge. And he bought as much as he can get his hands on at the time. And he was right. Um, one of my favorite stories, actually, from that era was I took a Mox Jet, which is one of the most expensive cards imaginable right now. Would have mm-hmm. been, I think, 12000 easy. And I stuck it in my bike spokes. Because at the time, my brain was like, oh, it's land that can be shattered. Why would I want that? That's bad. Oh. So... <laughs> Needless to say, needless to say, I was not allowed to have the rest of the Power Nine. Like I still have a set in a safety deposit box that I can't even touch without him. <laughs> wow. You know, I suspect you're hardly the only young card player who has a story like that. No, oh, probably I, not. <laughs> I bet there's many people like who, at ten years old, got the rarest of the rare cards and then just blew them up with firecrackers or did whatever because they just thought it would be cool and they didn't care. Yep. And then later on, oh, well, that's the way it went. Okay, so magic was your uh, gateway drug, as it was for many people. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, Don, when was the first time you encountered magic? Uh, oh, you're wanting me to tell the doke story, aren't you? Go right ahead, sir. <laughs> All right. Um, I got to say, I'm not a big uh, collectible card guy, uh, but I got a friend who was huge into into magic, like right when it came out. Um, and I always thought it was funny because, uh, I know a little bit about the game through, through basically everybody I hung out with who were big players, except for myself. Mm-hmm. And the story that I thought was funny, cause this is when I realized that myself and my friends were getting old is this is a fellow who's like, he's got probably like about nine, 10,000 magic, the gathering cards. And his son, who was around 10 at the time, got really big into Yu-Gi-Oh! And the, 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 my buddy would speak disparagingly of his son in this silly game that he played. Nah, I don't know. I don't get it. And he used to make me laugh because here's the guy with 10,000 magic cards disparaging his son who plays Yu-Gi-Oh. And it reminded me of the March of Generations where everything these kids do today is just terrible and back in our day. <laughs> and that always, that always gets a giggle. Especially when you think, um, if you've read the Yu-Gi-Oh comic, which predated the card game... The card game they presented in the comic was Magic the Gathering, but they couldn't use the name, so they called it this American game, and they made reference, it is Magic. And then later they did their own version, because it was like, holy crap, this stuff makes a lot of money. (laughs) Okay, so that was probably, my first encounter with it was actually while I was at Windsor. There was the Windsor Gaming Society that we used to play on Saturdays. And I don't remember the specific details, but I just remember when Magic first kind of swept in. This obviously is like early 90s here. And basically, we went from having like several groups that were, you know, running Dungeons and Dragons and Rollmaster and uh, what else? Um, I was running Champions mostly back then. And, you know, general role-playing games, the Palladium RPG Rifts at that time. And suddenly it went from people playing uh, role-playing games to Magic the Gathering every meeting all the time. (laughs) Literally everyone's gaming books for a year or two just collected dust. No one cared. Hmm. Gaming just stopped. And I remember around that time I was a bit frustrated. So when I came back to London, I went to the Hamilton Road Gaming Group, which is a similar group that meets here in London on Saturdays. I believe they still do. Mm Mm-hmm. 
And um, I walked in and because I, I thought, okay, I can at least play Starfleet Battles with these guys or Battletech because that's what they do every weekend. Walk in, magic everywhere. Huh. Nothing else. Literally just all gaming ground to a halt after magic came out for at least a year or two, I'd say. And I managed to find a few people that actually still played role-playing games, but there weren't that many for a while there until everyone got tired of magic. So then, James, okay, so Magic came out and became, like, the one game to rule them all Mm -hmm. for a while. But how did CCGs evolve after Magic? How did things go? Well, the thing is, when uh, a lot of companies saw how successful Magic was, and Mm -hmm. they're like, oh, well, we can capitalize on this by designing new games, different games, uh, all sorts of games. Like, uh, a couple examples are, like, Rage. Uh, It was was based off the White Wolf, Werewolf game. Um, mm-hmm. Then there was the Dragon Ball Z card game. There's Rifts. Was it? Uh, there was uh, Star Trek, Star Wars card games. There was card games everywhere from like mid '90s to like late to, to like 2006. And then a lot of them just yeah. kind of none of them really lasted except like one or two just kind of got through. Like Pokemon and Yu-Gi-Oh are still around, but mm-hmm. a lot of them just kind of fell by the wayside. Apparently, Dragon Ball Z is still being played. I just recently discovered that. Oh, okay. People are actually still playing the Dragon Ball Z game. Mm-hmm. And that came out, what, a decade ago? Yeah, almost. Wow, okay. Around there. Yeah. But you mentioned Yu-Gi-Oh! So is Yu-Gi-Oh! still actively being played? Uh, yes. Uh, one of the stores here in London actually still runs a Yu-Gi-Oh! night, specifically. Um, hmm. it's, so, yeah, I think it's it's still being played. A lot of tournament, big tournaments for it as well. Did Yu-Gi-Oh! have any effect on the gaming market when it came out as well? Uh, it did and it didn't. The problem is, uh, the the difference between Magic and Yu-Gi-Oh is Yu-Gi-Oh is targeted at a younger audience. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So they there was it, it kind of uh, it competed with Pokemon, I guess. Right. And um, I think in locally it won out over Pokemon because it just had better art and a lot right. of people that were like, oh, this blue eyes white dragon looks way cooler than my Squirtle. Yeah, yeah, there's that, yeah. Well, Pokemon, if I remember right, because I did play it, was actually targeted, yeah, for a very young audience. Mm-hmm. Like, it was truly an entry card game, where I'd say Yu-Gi-Oh! Like, here, I'd say Pokemon was probably meant for, like, 6 to 12, where I'd say Pokemon... Or, sorry, uh, yeah, no, sorry, I have the backwards. Pokemon was targeted towards a um, 6 to 12, where I'd say Yu-Gi-Oh! was probably more targeted towards maybe, like, 8 to 14. Yeah. Was that fair? Uh, that That would be about my assessment as well. Yeah, so I think Pokemon was very much meant to be an entry drug, and then once they got you in, they'd get you with Yu-Gi-Oh!, and then they'd eventually get you with Magic. At least that was the hope. Now, that's that's a question, too, though, for uh, for the card games, because I know um, when you look at the end of the 90s, the beginning of the 2000s, something that just whomped the hell out of a lot of the nerdly arts was this idea that uh, in North America we had a disconnect where you take, say, your Marvel or your DC Comics they didn't bring in the next generation of of young participants and got their asses handed to them because of that. Um, does that kind of thing affect the uh, the card games as well? Um, I, I wouldn't say no, because one of the things I've noticed with a lot of card games, is like Magic especially, is it spans the generations. There's always yeah. younger people coming into it, usually mm. from the other games like Pokemon or Yu-Gi-Oh!, and it just keeps going. Like in, uh, mm. it's very inclusive in a lot of situations. I mean, obviously there's going to be some metas, as we call them, uh, that are very elitist and only like the the top players play. But for the most what part, what is a I meta? Know... Sorry to interrupt. Like, 
remember, some of our audience don't know these terms, James. Okay. So could you define that, please? Sorry. Uh, a meta, uh, what a meta is, as far as like my my version of it is, is basically uh, what a group of players form is a meta. Okay. So like if uh, like someone comes up to me and says, "What deck is prevalent in your meta?" So the the tournament scene that I play in is my meta. I've hmm. never heard meta used like that before. Okay, that's interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, so. Why do they use the term meta then? That I'm actually not not a hundred percent clear on. Huh. Hmm. Um. I guess it's because. Hmm. I guess it would be because you guys are each group has its own style of play or the way they put things together. That would so be they're all guess. meta or changed from each other. I guess. Mm-hmm. Huh. Weird. But th- yeah, that is weird. I've never heard that term before. Sorry. Uh, yeah. Sorry to interrupt about that. But yeah, that. Hmm. Interesting. So you'd refer to different groups specifically as metas, or does this refer to like an area or a play style? Uh, it depends on like how the how the question is asked. Like if someone was to say my specific meta, now right. I would go that's the tournament scene I play in. So like if okay. I play at two different stores, those are the metas I play in. I consider each one its own thing, right? Because the you, the different players, different deck styles, different methods of play, depending right. on where you are. So each one forms their own meta. Wow, okay. And that includes house rules at each store that each uh, group yeah. plays in? Most stores tend to, like, the the thing is with uh, the, with Wizards of the Coast especially, they have the DCI, which kind of sets the rules, like, you must play by these rules or that's it. Like, mm-hmm. you can't play. Right. Or at least play sanctioned. Hmm. hmm. So there is a standard set of rules, at least for most Wizards games. Yes. But is it common for players, or should I say stores, whatever, to actually use variant rules as well? Uh, yes. Like, um, one of the things we do for... Uh, there's a uh, format of magic called Elder Dragon Highlander, or Commander. Which wow. you, you basically take a, a legendary creature, and that's your general, which denotes mm-hmm. the colors of your deck. Okay. So, like, if I have a blue-black general, I can only use blue-black cards, and I can only have one of any card. Except mm-hmm. basic land. So, but the thing is, with this, uh, with Elder Dragon Highlander, there's the Wizards version where they have their official ban list, but there's also the one that we call French Rules, which is designed for one-on-one play, whereas the Wizards one is designed for multiplayer play, like three or more. Okay. So I would consider that a house rule, is using the yeah. French Rules. Okay, using the French Rules. Do the French Rules involve more swearing than the English Rules? <laughs> uh yeah, <laughs> usually okay. because uh, they have a bunch of cards that a lot of people are like, why is that unbanned? And then they get hit by it, and then they scream for about 20 minutes. Okay, okay. <laughs> well, actually, since you brought up French, let's uh, approach this. So how popular are uh, CCGs in Europe? Like, uh, As far as I know, they're very popular. I know that Wizards has good sales overseas, and it's mm-hmm. one of the, it's the, I think it's the only CCG pl- printed in, like I think, over over 10 languages. Now, when you say Wizards, you're referring to Magic the Gathering. Yes, I'm referring to Magic specifically. Yeah, okay. Because don't they make other CCGs or only Magic? Uh, they used to make Kaijudo. I'm pretty sure they dropped that. Okay. And um, at the moment, I'm not sure. Hmm. Um, I'm pretty sure that they the, the, Magic is the, the Magic is the only one that's current. Because I know Kaijudo was, but I'm pretty sure they've ditched that by now. Okay, so they've gone back to what makes them their money. Yeah. <laughs> And Magic does still make money. Is Magic still the dominant game? It is, and it will probably be the dominant game for years to come. It's just, it's too entrenched. And a lot of things that a lot of people have noticed about gamers is we tend not to like change. That's true. (laughs) Don has many comments about that. (laughs) So it's mostly just its entrenchment. Like, 
have there been games that have come out that are actually much better than Magic, but just failed because the audience just wasn't interested? I wouldn't say better. I'd say good alternatives. Um, okay. Like, I enjoyed the Rifts card game immensely. I thought it was a great alternative to Magic. The problem is, is that when you release a Rifts card game, you're kind of appealing only to Rifts fans, and it's really right. hard to get other people in. Mm. Uh, same with Babylon 5. Babylon 5 was a superb, amazing card game. I loved it. But the problem is, is it's kind of a niche market. You had to be a fan of the game to even consider it at first. And then some people gradually got into it, but it just never, a lot of these games just never established the scene. Now, another thing that, that, uh, makes or breaks card game is the internet. Now, mm-hmm. a lo- if you can't play as part of a larger community, like, I can go online and find magic decks everywhere, I can find discussion of magic and all that, but if, mm-hmm. a, if a card game doesn't get that kind of hype, but right. it tends to just drop, because people just assume no one else in the world is playing it. Um, right. Another good example is a lot of uh, card games now have Facebook groups. Games get coverage through Facebook and like Twitch streams and all that now, but back in the early 90s, late 90s, these weren't things. You couldn't do that. So a lot of games like Magic was everywhere, but these other games kind of start, started up in small areas, but then just kind of died out when they just felt, a lot of people, I guess, felt isolated. Like their friends are like, yeah, you know, I like this game, but Magic is over here. Right. Yeah, you can be part of the great Magic movement, or you can be one of those like <laughs> niche losers over there playing Babylon 5, the card game. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, I can definitely see that. Yeah. But since you brought up online... So what about online gaming? Um, hasn't there been some effort to actually bring card games online? Uh, Magic the Gathering Online is probably the flagship program for that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and it it works. I have an account myself. I play online once in a while. It's just one of those I want to sit in my underwear and play Magic without having <laughs> to get arrested. So mm-hmm. You own the store, dude. You can actually play in your underwear anytime <laughs> you want. Yeah. We even have a theme song to that effect. Anyway. <laughs> oh, yikes. <laughs> But the, the point okay. is, is that uh, like there is a market for online card games because people like there's people that are just socially awkward, don't want to go out or you live mm-hmm, in a rural mm-hmm. area and you're the only person in that area that wants to play the game. So there's right. always going to be a market for it. Hmm. Well, there's that. And I know there's been a couple of attempts to uh, move the, the CCGs completely online. Like there was I know for Yu-Gi-Oh, they did a uh, they did one that you collected virtual cards and I know for Chaotic, they did the thing when you bought the card, there was a serial number that you could enter online. And it would register your, your your deck online and you could play that way. Yeah, see, it wasn't an effort to go exclusively online at that point. It was an effort to try and keep interest and keep players buying cards by offering okay. an al- online alternatives. So, like, you just get home from school and your friends can't come out, but they're all on the computer. Why not play? Right. Hmm... But could you see them one day trying to do that just because the companies realize if we're not making a physical product, we still get the money, but... Well, a good example of that right now is Hearthstone. Okay. Oh, okay. Because they don't I have see. a physical card game anymore. Like, World of Warcraft had one for a while. I'm not sure if it's still around. I, just, I know it's... I see it once in a while, but it's not really... No one's playing it. Right. But a good example of what you're just talking about is Hearthstone. It's a completely online game. And with mm-hmm. the advent of the, uh, the 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 microtransaction game market on you right. know Android and and Apple, a uh, game like Hearthstone has is gonna keep going forever because mm-hmm. people like it. And you don't have to buy physical cards, and it's free to play. And I think it's you know pay to get you know more, more cards faster. I haven't actually yeah. played it myself. Right. But I remember, yeah, because the ads for that were everywhere for a yeah. while. 
Right. Yeah, I have to wonder if the whole um, iPhone, well, cell phone, mobile phone app, card game thing isn't eventually going to take over at some point. Um, I don't think so because there's a certain like joy to owning a physical copy of something that I don't think will ever really go away. And like that's what's keeping the high value magic cards valuable is that people want tangible things. It's like owning a piece of history at this point. You know what I right. mean? Hmm. Right. Hold on one sec. I've got a whiny dog I gotta deal with. So <laughs> talk amongst yourselves for just a second, I'll be right back. Okay. So and I know, yeah, like I say, I remember when Magic came out, holy smokes, everybody was super into that. Well, they they had it they they created a really good formula. It's like, yeah. buy packs, get rare cards, play game, you know. And it, <laughs> it was just well-designed. The art was good at the time. It's, and it just, yeah. it, it, it had every, it, like, all the stars were aligned and a, and a, and a great game was born. Um, originally, when Magic first came out, they had Ante, where you used to actually have to cut your deck, and whatever card you cut to was put up for, for, as a bet. Oh, okay. And you could lose cards that way. You know, that kind of explains something, because I know when they did, like, uh, the, the Yu-Gi-Oh! comic and the show, mm-hmm. when those started becoming all about the cards, period, that's what used to happen in, in the stories, is if you lost, the guy who won got to pick something out of your deck that he kept. Yep. Same, same kind I, of thing. Okay. Because I always thought that was odd, because in the actual game, they never mentioned doing anything like that. Uh, in Magic, there's actually a bunch of cards specifically designed to change the ante. Like, there's this one called Jeweled Bird, and the whole point of it was that you could sacrifice the Jeweled Bird, put it up as your ante card, and take your ante card and shove it back in your deck. Okay. <laughs> it's like, here, have my worthless Jeweled Bird. <laughs> wow. That's kind of weird. That kind of brings the gambling aspect into it. Yeah, that's. I'm pretty sure they got rid of that ante because <laughs> it just it made it illegal to play in a lot of places. <laughs> That's true. That and I think too, like, um, like, like, like it's been mentioned, the the stuff out of Japan. A lot of that seems aimed at younger folk. Mm-hmm. And has Magic ever done that? Um, Magic did uh, the portal sets, which are like kind of starter sets that are very basic. There's not a lot of complicated rules with them. And right. I think those were designed like for younger kids. The art was a little more simplistic, and like it was good. It just wasn't. Like as detailed and hardcore as the as the uh, normal sets, right? And uh, like, I, I, Magic was never targeted at a very young audience. I think m- for the most part, it was targeted at like uh, 10, 10, 10 plus at the lowest, right? Just because the concepts and like the uh, the idea of the stack and all these different rules and all that would be kind of foreign or hard to understand to a to a younger player. But I've seen thirteen right. year olds playing as good as pros these days, so. That yeah. line got blurred. Yeah. Yeah, because it, it seemed like when they put it out, it was, uh, what I, I hate the term, but I have to call it like a general audience product. Yeah. And I hate saying that because when you say people think kids, but I mean it in like the old 70s term where it's nothing that would be too horrifying for kids, but it's not too stupid to like bore adults. Yeah, it's it's kind of like um, I don't know a lot of cartoons I watch with my infant son, like Johnny Test. I'm like, yeah, this kid, this cartoon is great because I actually mm. don't hate it, and you'll watch it all day because it's colorful. <laughs> that works. <laughs> okay, I'm back. Sorry, did I miss anything? Oh, we just uh, discussed some more stuff about magic, like the gambling aspect of oh, when okay. it first came out. The uh, they had ante, which was you each took a card from your deck, and that was your bet. And if you lost, oh. you lost that card. 
Oh, wow. Okay. Mm-hmm. So people have used magic in um, ways other than officially sanctioned ones then. <laughs> yes. Uh, back, back in the day, people used to play for honor points. So you can see the air quotes. <laughs> mm-hmm. And uh, <laughs> what that was is every honor point was a dollar. Okay. <laughs> Wow, okay. So does that still go on, or is that only back in the day? Well, I haven't heard of it recently. I mean, they have cash prizes for the major tournaments now, so I don't think people mm-hmm. play for uh, honor points much. Right, because they can make a lot more money if they can work their way up. Yeah. Okay, so actually, going back to what I said earlier about uh, Pokemon, is the Pokemon RPG still there? Like, does it still exist? Or sorry, CCG, sorry. Uh, it the- does. It's still going. Uh, it's now older than its demographic. Well, yes, I imagine, but so is Pokemon. Yeah, this but is... uh, no, it's still going strong. We actually, uh, we do carry it at the shop, and mm-hmm. uh, we just brought it in because we have a lot of the neighborhood kids come in, like, do you have Pokemon? And I swore to myself when I opened the store, I'm like, I will never carry this game, and now we do. <laughs> right. Well, you're you're a store owner, and you have to adapt to your clientele, so that's the way it goes. So is that the standard entry game now for, for the youngins? I don't think so. Um, to be honest, a lot more, like, uh, people are coming into Magic younger and younger. Like, I actually ran a birthday party at the shop for oh. a uh, kid that just turned 11. And wow. uh, we built Magic deck, like, 30-card Magic decks, taught them how to play, and they just played Magic for this birthday party. That's oh. awesome. <laughs> and it's one of the services we offer. <laughs> awesome. Well, the, I, you know, I bet a lot of parents had never thought of that. But, um, yeah, if there's any parents out there listening right now, there's an idea for your kid's birthday party. Hmm. Um, especially when you get 11, 12-year-olds, that sounds pretty perfect, actually. Mm -hmm. Well, one of the things we do, especially for the younger kids when we promote card games to parents, is we tell Mm -hmm. them, like, it promotes reading, math, pattern recognition, social Mm -hmm. skills. I mean, like, it it is a package Mm -hmm. deal. You get a whole bunch of good benefits to playing this, and I get your money. Mm. (laughs) You get the money. Okay. You know know what's kind of more fascinating to think about? Mm. Is, uh, Is the idea, since you mentioned the honor points and... Each one was a dollar. You could almost see um, the old sitcom standard where, like, Dad and his friends are sitting in the smoky kitchen playing poker. One day we're going to see that with, like, a magic tournament. Uh, yes, that doesn't happen all the time. (laughs) (laughs) But I'm just just waiting for the sitcom where you get, like, fat, sweaty dad. I release my grim, dark warrior. Uh, Oh, yeah, well, I've got 50 karma. Haven't they done that in that, that, um, um... Big What's Bang that? Theory? Yeah, that's it. I, I don't yeah. watch it. It's... <laughs> well, I'm sure neither. they use magic in there. Mm-hmm. Well, they did, they did, but those guys are portrayed as quote-unquote nerds. I'm, I'm waiting to see, like, the blue-collar, you know, yeah. line-working dad and his buddies having a beer and doing that in the show. I'll tell you what, mm-hmm. I'll send you a picture later. <laughs> <laughs> Is this going to be one of them underwear things? No, no, I'm wearing clothes. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> okay. Do you, do you have, like, the visors on and, like, the cigars and everything? Uh, I actually do have an old picture from when I was at uh, when I was at, at Trenton with the Army Cadets of mm-hmm. us, all of us sitting in a smoke-filled room playing magic. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's pretty good. Okay, so, okay, let's um, get back on track here for a bit. We'll talk more about gaming store stuff in a little bit. Mm-hmm. But, um, so... What's the difference between a good collectible card game and a bad collectible card game? Like, what makes a good one and what makes a bad one? What do play you think? Playtesting. Okay. <laughs> Honestly, if the company doesn't playtest their game, they release cards that are just outlandishly powerful or very bad. 
mm-hmm. and it just it can break a game. Like uh, we've had it recently with a card game called Force of Will. They released a card that they had to errata a month later and change mm-hmm. because of how powerful it was. It just feels like they didn't test it, and if they did, they were all like five year olds who were sitting there like, "I like high power card, gonna put it in the game." <laughs> Right. And it basically, it, it, it broke the game for a little bit. So it's all yeah. about balance. Then. Yeah. One thing okay. Wizards has maintained and uh, and done a very good job about, like, I mean, they do slip up once in a while, but, I mean, this game is ancient at this point. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And um, they they go in and they're like, okay, well, this, this deck is seeing, like, 22% of tournament play. That's way too high. We need to look at one of the cards in this deck. Which card can we get rid of? that will dismantle or or disarm this deck down to a normal play played level. Mm-hmm. And that's what makes a good card game versus a bad card game where they look at that and go, hey man, like everyone's playing the same deck. Obviously it's working. Yeah. Ooh. Right. Because, like variety that... is the spice of life and like what companies want to see is mm-hmm. they want to see diversity in their formats for, uh, for card games. Because mm-hmm. if everyone's playing the same deck, that means a lot of cards just kind of sit by the wayside unused. Right. Yeah. I can see that i can definitely see that because uh, I, so I think oh, oh sorry don go oh i was gonna say um i think because you mentioned that there were a lot of games that died out um some of the also rands that i'm familiar with that was kind of the problem like uh, you mentioned rage and we played rage for a bit but we found once you got a character that had a really high attack because uh for anybody who never played your attack value represented the strongest attacks you could use so once you got a really high one and you got a couple of attacks at really high level, you tended to just win. Yep. I used to have a, uh, a uh, Loop Guru deck with Gogol Fangs first, who is the most powerful <laughs> character in the game. Yeah. And then I just kind of like, yeah, I can always win. <laughs> yeah. And then the game becomes really boring because you just always win. Well, it's the same. Like I said, it's uh, there's a lot of like that's the thing is why I say playtesting is so important because if I can build an unbeatable deck, your game is bad. Hmm. Yeah. I can see that. Well, was there any bad CCGs you still loved, even though they were actually not a very well put together game? Riffs. I mean, I love the okay. setting, so I was kind of like, I did everything I could to get that game to move, and it did not. Hmm. Which, which is weird, because a lot of people, I know anybody who played it said that it was a fantastic game. Exactly, but that's the thing is, like, the problem is, is when you come up with against a juggernaut like Magic in very Magic-centric areas... It's yeah. going to be hard. And, like, at the time, the only store we played at was basically like, well, come Magic's kind of my bread and butter. It feeds my family. So, like, yeah, I'll bring yeah. in Rifts, but I'm not going to support it when I've got Magic. Right. So it was one of those, like, well, we kind of had to hope that it continued. Now, hmm. do you think Do you think maybe there was a little bit of nerdly snobbery? Because the card guys thought, well, that's one of them role-playing games. The role-playing game guys thought you know, that's one of them card games and that's why you didn't get the crossover um not really like uh, the thing is in my experience i haven't really had that kind of issue because like i'm a general gamer i play almost everything mm-hmm. and i've never had an issue where someone just kind of sneered at a game because they're like oh it's this like I, i've had issues with card games and like I, i'll speak out against them in most cases if i think they're broken or bad but right. it, for most part i don't i haven't really seen any like elitism like oh you know i don't play this because i'm a high class high flute and role player you know what i mean <laughs> right hmm. well i would imagine that most role players also play card games and vice versa i would think uh, for the most part, a lot of role players I find like to do it to fill time. Like we used to mm. before Dungeons and Dragons, we'd play a couple games of Magic or something like that. Right, yeah. that makes sense. 
Hmm. Now, here's a weird question. Are there is there any one particular country that's like the most CCG crazy? Like uh, this... I think it's a tie between the U.S. and Japan. Hmm. Oh, so the Japanese are really crazy for collectible card games then. Uh, some of the top players for Magic in the World are Japanese. Wow. And um, it, it sells really well there. Um, mm-hmm. Another like uh, It does great, but the Japanese also like to release a lot of card games. Um, the One of their more recent additions to the market was called Force of Will. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's actually one of my store's flagship products right now. Right. It's a more anime-centric game based on yeah. our real-life fairy tales. Like you, you get stuff like The Little Prince, Tinkerbell. Mm-hmm. You know, those characters are in this card game. Oh, okay. Now, is there a difference between Japanese card games and American card games? Do they tend to have a different style of play or they, anything that you've seen? They do. Force of Will is basically like they went and took Magic and they separated the land from the main deck and put it in its own deck. Mm-hmm. To make it so that one particular problem with magic was gone. And a lot mm-hmm. of people like that. And a lot of people were like, no, that's what makes magic magic. But um, the point is, is like the color, co- they kind of color coded it the same. They have different elements representing each different kind of uh, will you can generate, which is the resource you use to play your cards. Right. And right. Uh, it's a lot of people call it a magic clone. I'd say it's like, if it's, it, I'd say, oh, what's a, what's a, what's not, what's a kind of a, where you take someone's DNA, but it's not 100%. <laughs> Not a clone, uh, kind of like a kid, <laughs> but a with child. only one parent. We call those children. <laughs> Ew. Yeah, well, we all make mistakes. Uh, oh, sorry, I forgot. James is a father. Uh, congratulations, by the way. Wow, kids uh, freak me out. They leak. Well, young ones do anyway. Yeah, some of the old ones too. <laughs> <laughs> That's very true. That's what beer is for. Yeah. Okay. So is Force of Will one of like the current top games going right now then? Uh, it's the fourth bestseller worldwide as far as a couple sites have said. Well, okay. So what are the top three then? Uh, you're looking at Magic the Gathering. Of course. Yu-Gi-Oh! And Pokemon. Hmm. Okay then. Aren't Now, Pokemon and Magic are both being put out by Wizards of the Coast, uh, aren't Pokemon they? Pokemon is no longer put out by Wizards. Oh, okay. uh, It's put out by Nintendo or, Nintendo or Game uh, Freak themselves. Okay. Now, are they still using the exact same system and rules, or did they change it when they took it on themselves? I believe it's the same system and rules. I, again, I don't really play it a lot. Like mm-hmm. once in a while, I'll pick up a starter deck if my my niece wants to play, and I'll just right. play it. My problem with it is very uninteractive, so it's really mm-hmm. boring. Hmm. I can see that. Hmm. Yeah, it's pretty. Str- it's been a long time since I played, but I do remember that. Hmm. Okay. Um. Were there any other questions you had, Don, that you wanted to bring up? Uh, uh, not at the moment. Okay, so then, James, what do you think the future of collectible card games is? Honestly, I think it's got a good future ahead of it. Like, more people come in all the time. Like, new players are joining these games. Um, Every store owner is doing everything they can to keep perpetuating the games. And like I said, there's a certain joy to owning physical copies of things so a lot of that like not like it's the same thing with my video game collection i don't like to buy them digitally if i can buy a, an actual copy hmm. just it's just me but uh i think that card games do have a bright future ahead of them i think online only actually helps perpetuate the physical copy hmm. well yeah i could see that yeah well it's, it's like uh it's, it's like it's almost like an advertisement it's like here's mm. what you could be doing with other people in real <laughs> life you <Ew. Ew. laughs> 
Well, I mean, we've got uh, Pokemon Go coming up shortly, the old augmented one where you're running around po- doing Pokemon stuff in Dude, real life. I can't wait till I wake up to a Mr. Mime staring at me while I sleep. <laughs> Yikes. <laughs> yeah, that'll be kind of creepy, but okay, sure. And, and watching like 20 kids run into a dark alley to get a Mewtwo. <laughs> oh, that's going to be awesome, yeah. I'm just saying, like, think about how this game's going to go. Exactly. But the reason I brought that up, though, is because I was thinking, won't that ultimately apply also to Magic and Yu-Gi-Oh? I mean, ultimately, won't we eventually get what effectively they portray in Yu-Gi-Oh, where like this augmented reality thing where these monsters are literally coming to life and battling in front of everyone? Uh, See, I don't think that'll ever happen because there's a certain degree of too nerdy. We just go, (laughs) okay, you've gone too far, guys. Like... Personally, I like um, my favorite version of playing Pokemon was Pokemon Stadium mm-hmm. from the, the mm-hmm. Nintendo 64. So it's like, I wish I could have played that mm-hmm. um, more often. And like, I wish there was a modern version of it because that was kind of cool because, you know, more 3D represented. I could put it up on a big TV and we could all just have our Pokemon matches. But right, yeah. uh, I don't think there's ever going to be like a fully augmented reality game. Like, I mean, I'm probably wrong, but yeah, I'm pretty wrong. sure there's just a line that everyone's going to draw and be like, no. We're not going that far. No, it'll they'll get into it as kids, and it'll be the yeah. most normal and awesome thing in the world. Trust me. Yeah, yeah. and then I'll be old and sitting in my chair going, I don't know what you kids and your brain damage and your sword art online helmets. Exactly. Well, you know, th- those kids are all dead anyway because they went into sword art online, and we know how that goes. So we don't right. have to worry about them anyway. Because I could see that. I think I think you're right for now. But I do think in another generation or two, you'll have people who grew up with the the virtual augmented reality thing and they're comfortable enough that they'll look at like an actual physical card and say, well, that's kind of like ancient, like how we look at the old crank phonograph things with the big earpiece and... Well, we also live in like a technological renaissance, right? Like things are just advancing every day and I'm just like, I'm getting old because I can't keep up. Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's pretty scary stuff, but dude, Pokemon Go in real life. I, I, I'm just saying, I'm waiting for that like dark, drug-infested alley to have a Mewtwo. <laughs> well, I we actually did, we did a show, it, it will have aired by the time this comes out, about uh, Pokemon and Pokemon Go. <laughs> and Don brought up an interesting point, which is when they presumably put together Pokemon Go... Um, actually, here, I should let Don tell it. So, Don, what's the problem with Pokemon Go that's going to eventually happen? <laughs> Well, it, it's the idea that um, however it is that they anchor the, the little Pokemons in, in quote-unquote real life, uh, real life is going to change from out, out from under them. And and I use the example like, okay, you'll have like, like Bugmon and he'll be in this park and eventually that park will be turned into a freeway and I don't know if the company's going to sink the money into constantly updating those sort of things or if like most online stuff they'll just let it run and you'll have kids running out in the middle of this freeway trying to catch this pokemon and i like i like the better one he you suggested where you said oh. yeah to the, right now it's a restaurant but yeah. and th- that might be okay or even a mall but you know what what happens when it's like an abandoned building or a crack den yeah in like five to ten years and there's still a pokemon geolocated there in the system yeah. I'm pretty sure that it's only going to last a few years and then they'll release a new version with updated things and you buy that and the Pokemon are all in different places based on Oh yeah, Google. probably. Something like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But if people do play the old game, I mean, here people are still playing the original Pokemon. Yeah. 
So you never know about these things. So it'll be interesting to see what happens with it when you start bringing these, this gaming stuff into the real world, sort quote unquote. It yeah. uh, is going to have some interesting results, some of which people are not going to expect. Right. Yeah, but now we're getting into an Asimov, uh, like, <laughs> whole thing here. <laughs> mm, that's true. I, the detachment from reality. The robots have <laughs> rules. No, I think it'll be more of a Gibson sort of thing. Mm. <laughs> I got Pokemon and Hepatitis from that stranger in the alley. <laughs> mm. <laughs> so. All right. Actually, let's take off in a slightly different direction here, especially, <laughs> especially <laughs> considering we're talking about hepatitis. Anyway. If Nintendo's um, listening, you can use that as your slogan. I, I won't charge you. Okay, there we go. <laughs> um, so, James, what about uh, tournaments? How big are magic tournaments these days? Well, um, last year I went to Grand Prix Toronto and it was about 2,200 people. Wow. Yeah. Uh, the now, average store tournament's usually around 20, 25. Okay. And is is this number growing or shrinking as far as you've seen? I think it's growing every year because more people are getting into the game. It's becoming more competitive. There's money now. Like for like, I guess there's money been money for a while, but like mm-hmm. more people are getting it. They prize further down. Right. Um, what's the biggest tournament going in North America right now? I think the Grand Prix and the I think the Grand Prix are pretty much your biggest Magic tournaments. I think uh, Vegas kind of set a record at two thousand three hundred some odd. Okay, and those are actually run by wizards? Uh, yes. Uh, well, they have the judge system. What happens is there's certain event coordination companies that mm-hmm. will run the tournament, but wizards provides judges, and these event co- companies have to pay the judges and product and whatever, and the judges also get cool shiny foil cards and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, so wizards does run it to a degree. Like, it's run by the DCI and wizard-sanctioned judges, but the, a company usually foots the bill and collects the profit. Hmm, well, that makes sense. Now, here's an interesting question. How do you rank Magic players? Like, there, if, for example, um, I'm a Go player, for example, and Go uses this, we have like 30 basic ranks, I guess you could call them, and then there's like the 10 master ranks for Go. Mm-hmm. What does Magic use to actually rank people? Well, like they, rank used to players? Use, they used to use a DCI uh, system where mm-hmm. it would base, you had a rating. And your rating okay. would go up if you played players better than you and go down if you played player, lost to players worse than you. And it was, mm-hmm. and a lot of people would just sit on their ratings once they got to a certain point and mm-hmm. just be like, yeah, I'm king of the world. I get invited to all the big tournaments. Right. Um, and what they did was they're like, we're tired of seeing the big players just sitting on their laurels. Let's shake it up a bit. So they released Planeswalker points. Mm-hmm. So what every event you go to, you get a base points just for showing up. Most like FNM events, I think there's like a base three, four points just for showing up. Mm-hmm. And then you get, I, I think it is, I, I haven't checked. <laughs> right, it's okay. But uh, then each vent has a modifier. So like you get one point per win or whatever. And then like what'll happen is if you're at a Grand Prix, I think the modifier is 15 points, 15 times 15. So every mm-hmm. win you get is 15 points. Right. And then you accumulate points throughout the year to get to win buys to bigger tournaments, to win uh, like just to get prizes and to get invites to tournaments and stuff like that. You, the more points you have, the better. Right. So okay. but what the, what the system did instead of having people just sitting there going, Oh, I just get an invites and I never play anymore. It's, you have to grind points to get right. the buys and the invites. Okay. And you can only do this at officially sanctioned tournaments. Yes. Officially sanctioned by magic. So for example, if I play at your store tournament, it doesn't do anything for my magic DCI rating. Uh, it does, actually, because uh, every, all of our events are sanctioned unless you're playing mm-hmm. just casual magic. 
oh, okay. But what's to stop you know me from slipping you a hundred bucks and saying, yeah, my uh, DCI points went up a thousand today. Integrity. And the fact oh. that we have to schedule the event and sanction it and we have to add you as a player. Okay. And Wizards might notice if you're playing at 16 different events in one day. Okay. <laughs> well, they might, but, you know, probably not. <laughs> well, I'm sure they probably do have some kind of system to prevent that kind of thing from happening. But I'm sure there are some people that do play at two or three tournaments in a day, though. Yes. Oh, no. Two or three is easy. But, like, to get that kind of points, you'd have to really do a lot. <laughs> well, how much do people go up in one tournament usually? Uh, Money-wise? No, sorry. I mean, in terms of, uh, well, we'll talk about money later, but um, in terms of points, like for my DCI, I guess, how much would my DCI go up if I were to win one of your, say, 20 player magic tournaments? Uh, basically, what it would be is it would be a five round tournament. So if you went undefeated, you'd probably make about 15 mm-hmm. points. Okay. And, and to get a buy is about 300, 400 points. Hmm. Oh, okay. Yeah, so you have to work at that. And wait, do you guys actually play for money at your tournaments too? No, we play for store credit. Okay. If, uh, what we do is we charge an entry fee, and all the entry fee goes into store credit, and the top three players split it. Hmm. Oh, okay. Makes sense. What's the store credit like average? Or I guess it changes depending on how many people play, right? Yeah, I was going to say it's, it depends on how many people play. Like when we run our uh, commander tournaments or EDH tournaments, it's $5 a head, and we average about 12 people. So you're looking at about $60 divided amongst hmm. the top three. Okay, that's pretty good. And how much are each of these people playing to enter the tournament? $5. $5. Okay, so yeah. That's pretty good. And how many tournaments do you actually run, say, of Magic per week? Well, right now we run Magic. We kind of run ad hoc because, again, Force of Will is kind of our flagship product. Oh, okay, right. Okay. And uh, But I'd say uh, like on a week we run two Force of Will tournaments and one Magic tournament. Okay, so you're only running usually three three tournaments a week. Yes. Mm-hmm. Mainly because our store is not just dedicated to CCG specifically, like we do miniatures games as well, so I kind of have to divide up the time as best I can. Oh, yes, of course. That makes sense. So do you run like some other like uh, miniatures-based game tournaments as well? Yes, I do. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. So, James, why did you decide to open a gaming store? Like, was this your dream or something? Uh, for the most part, is basically a lot of people just said it was fate. I've been around game stores my entire <laughs> life. Like, I'm on a first-name basis with every store owner in the city. Mm-hmm. Um, I just, like I said, it's I've just been around them forever, and it's been an inevitability, really, is everyone's like, when are you opening your store? Like, you've, you have the experience. You've worked at several stores. <laughs> so eventually, like this year, right. I just... Or last year, I just decided, you know what, I'm going to do it. I found a place that's got a, you know, a, a lease I can't pass up. Um, mm-hmm. I've got the product because I've had magic cards since time. <laughs> right. So you, some of the stuff you're selling is, is your own collection. Almost all of the magic cards were my were my personal collection. Hmm. Like we do bring in cards once in a while, but for the most part, it was mine. So you had a lot of cards then. I did. <laughs> Wow. Okay. Don, did you have anything you want to ask? Oh, um, I was going to say for, for the, uh, for the cards, especially like, say you got like, uh, magic and a few others that have been around for a long time. Do you find that it, it, uh, they come and go in popularity? Uh, every game waxes and wanes. Um, 
one of my favorite games of all time, Battletech, is the ultimate example of this. What it does is it'll have a year where it's in a renaissance right. and there's hundreds of players everywhere. And then like within another year, there's down to two and then everyone just kind of keeps their mechs aside until the next yeah. renaissance. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I can see that. So what's the best thing about running a gaming store then that you've been at it for a little while? Uh, to be honest, I like perpetuating the hobbies that I enjoyed at other stores. I like, I've always mm-hmm. enjoyed running events more than playing in them in a lot of cases. And I get a certain satisfaction when an event fires well, it's well run. People are like, I had fun, a good time. I'm going to come out again. You know, that's what I enjoy mm. the most about owning a game store and getting stuff at, you know, distributor prices. Well, there's yeah, of course, there's that too. So, actually, I guess you must get a lot of uh, pleasure from that. I mean, sometimes you literally get to be the guy who is responsible for friendships, right? Bring people together. So that must be a pretty awesome feeling sometimes. Actually, watching uh, watching these players actually bond with each other and know that you're helping to encourage a whole society and everything—that's yeah. pretty cool. Uh, one of the things too is I'm also bringing another generation of new players into these games because I run demo days where I have several games set up, mm-hmm. demo decks ready to go. Like people can come in and learn to play these games for free, get a free demo deck, and then just build the different communities up and add more players to them. Hmm. Okay, yeah, hmm. that's pretty good. Of course, there's also a flip side then. So, what's the worst thing about running a gaming store? Parents. Parents. Okay, why? Parents. I've had a lot of cases where kids come in, learn to play the game for free. Mm-hmm. I give them a 30-card deck for free. And I'm like, okay, if you guys want to continue with that, that's a self-contained game. You're good to go. But if you want to expand it, we do sell additional mm-hmm. product. Like, we sell sleeves, you know, more cards. Do you mm-hmm. want a better card to make this deck more powerful? We got, we have those options. And every time we've had the, the one, at least one parent in, oh, you're a ripoff. Like, why would you charge money for this and all that? And I just, I, I want to just scream in their face, like, I'm not a charity. <laughs> I do, I said, exactly. I give this stuff away for free as a loss a leader to lead into further purchases. <laughs> But that, that I think that's about the worst part. Right. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. Well, what about dealing with the other stores? I mean, that must not always be pleasant either. Uh, no, it's not. Um, like, some stores I'm in good terms with. Like, there's a couple stores in London where I can, like, go in, high-five, you know, shoot, shoot the shit, talk, and just talk about, like, you know, how things are going at each place. You know, mm-hmm. just general friendship. Uh, right. Some store owners are openly hostile. Mm-hmm. Because, again, they see me as, like, uh, in one case, they thought I was going to buy them out, but they wanted way too much money for their store. So I said right. no. And other ones have uh, been even for, like, very just hostile. Right. Like, no, London's especially that. bad because we have eight game stores for a population wow. of 330,000. Wow. Is that high? I don't that know. That is incredible. Toronto has 10. Now, wait, you mean the whole GTA has 10? No, I believe Toronto proper. Toronto proper, I was going to say, because there must be game stores in like Markham and Mississauga and Pickering, etc. I'm just counting Toronto proper. But Toronto proper is still like 2 million people. It's still like five times the size of London. And yet, yeah, they only have a few more stores than we do. That's pretty scary, actually. Yeah, we we had that back in the day here, like... uh early to mid nineties when I was working at the comic shop, uh, the Windsor area had probably, if you count Essex County, you're looking at like seven or eight comic shops. And that was for like 300 people who, who would frequent them. Mm, I remember those. Yeah. Yeah. 
and it, and it worked it it worked the same like James was saying what we had here was there would be kind of they weren't officially coalitions of stores but for whatever reason different store owners would click and you'd have four or five stores that everybody'd be buddies and it would be like the high five thing in that and then it'd be this store here that hated everybody else or these two that hated everybody hmm. in this other group and that I can totally see that. Yeah. So I guess because we have so many, as you said, there's all naturally going to be a certain amount of friction between all the game stores. Yeah. And uh, you're all in competition for... Are, well, here's a question. Are you really in competition for the same players? Uh, uh, no. What I mean is... Okay, go, sorry. okay so what, what, what I, as I was telling you before, I like to grow my own meta. Like, I like to... Uh, create new players and add them to the community. So mm -hmm. what I do is instead of just trying to take players from other stores is I run my own thing. I run the how to play. I run, I like give people decks, teach them how to play. And then I encourage them to come out to events, you know, mm -hmm. further their experience, grow the game. So what I like, that's the thing is I don't take from other stores. If I can help it, I generate my own. Mm -hmm. Okay. That's good. That's good. Actually, here's an interesting question. So your store is located, I've seen it, it's in a small residential area just uh, west of downtown. And most stores, though, from what I've noticed, are actually more in like strip malls or downtown proper or basically not in residential areas. Has being in a residential area helped you much? Like, has that made a big difference? Uh, to be honest, I like I like where our store is located because it's 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 a nice it's uh, I guess the word I could use is bohemian. It's a bohemian community, mm -hmm. so a lot of art yeah. folk, and um, you know, like there's a lot of families in the area, and uh, we get a lot of their kids come in. We run stuff like just dance events and Mario Kart mm -hmm. events where kids just come in mm -hmm. and play, and you know buy snacks and hang out and that. We also have games available for people to just come in and play off the street. Mm -hmm. No, so that stuff makes like sense. That. Um, yeah. Well. Yes, for those who aren't familiar, which most people probably listening to this aren't because most aren't from London or this area, James's store is basically located in, I guess, as James said, the bohemian, the kind of the artist enclave, I guess, of the city of London, Ontario. Um, and I know this partly because even at one point I even considered buying a house in that area because it is a nice area, but it's very mixed and very odd in some ways. There's some interesting people in that area. That's for sure. Um, <laughs> Hmm. Okay, that's good to know. <laughs> yeah, you know, I'm sure you <laughs> encounter them on a daily basis, I'm sure. Um, not that I'm saying anything bad about your neighbors. There's some awesome people that live in that area. <laughs> Technically, I live on the other side of the city from the store. <laughs> okay, well, <laughs> okay, well, your store is neighbors. Remember, they're your customers, so I don't want to piss them off or anything like that. <laughs> See, that's, oh, that's why I was I was surprised with your answer about parents. Honestly, like, none of the none of the neighborhood parents have been a problem. They've been great. Right. It's it's the parents that come from like they, their kid found out about the place from school or whatever, and they come in and then they they complain. Like mm -hmm. uh, to be honest, I I believe that we have a really good relationship with a lot of the parents, the the local parents in the neighborhood. Right. It's the ones that bring their like have to drive their kids in that tend to be a little more acerbic and a lot mm -hmm. more uh, passive aggressive when their kids are buying <laughs> product. Well, their kids have forced them to go there, right? So they're already yeah. unhappy to begin with. Yeah, and now they're worried that their kid is going to have them shell out a couple thousand dollars on cards and be bugging them endlessly for the next two years. Mm -hmm. So they're trying to head that off as best they can. Yep, <laughs> I understand it. It's just one of those like, well, why do you think that the beyond the first bit would be free? 
Exactly. The first hit is always free. <laughs> and magic and crack, they have a lot in common with each other. Yeah, but you can afford crack magic. Or so I'm Actually, that, okay, there's a question. So, if you could change the card, collectible card game industry, how would you change it? Like, as someone who's been immersed in it for so very long, there must be parts of the industry that actually piss you off. Um, to be honest, not really. I like how the companies deal with things. Wizards is really good to their support, like, the, to supporting the stores and giving us products and pre-releases and events that will bring players in. Um... I've yet to really be mad at a company. The only company I don't like right now, like some of their practices, is Force of Will's company. Because I think mm-hmm. they're called Engage. But uh, what it is, is their problem is, is they don't have any rules. So we got distributors in the U.S. that are selling direct to client or direct, direct to customer when they shouldn't be. They should have to sell through a retailer, which is the whole point of that system. But because there's no I rules see. in place, the distributors are like, oh, we'll make our own money. Hmm. Okay, that is a problem. But that's okay. That's good. I suppose that it's an industry that is very well regulated. Then it sounds like, and actually, <laughs> generally knows what it's doing. Not yeah. always, but generally. Yeah, for the most part. Um, like I said, there's they do have the odd hiccup here and there, but uh, Wizards treats the stores very well. It's like a wizard, okay. especially. Right. Right. Now, what about the top players? Like, since you obviously have rankings, you obviously have like some grandmasters of magic, so to speak. Is there a lot of drama or problems to go along with them? Uh, no, there was an incident where a pro tour player had a uh, had a rape charge, and uh, he'd served his time, and he's done his th- he like he served his time, paid his debt to society, and then it was brought up at another tournament that he attended years later, and he was thrown out because of it. Now, that's about the only drama or controversy I know of. Hmm. Other than that, okay, the play- like the, the players will have spats once in a while, but there's never anything huge. Right, okay. So it's not as much drama as some of like the League of Legends stuff or anything like oh, that. No. The pros gen tend the pros generally tend to be like they know each other. So we should probably Mm-hmm. Right. Okay. Oh, okay. Good to know. Alright, so we should probably start bringing this one to a close. So James, any closing thoughts, anything you want to say before we finish up? Um, other than that, keep uh, keep role playing, keep playing games, guys. It's what keeps the world spinning in my opinion. <laughs> And I completely agree. I think games are one of the most awesome creations mankind has ever come up with. Any final thoughts, Don? No, but I got to say, I'm I'm amazed that for a, for a branch of entertainment that's gone on as long as it has, it, there hasn't been very many CCG-related horror stories or media panics or anything. Knock on wood. <laughs> so, there, so. there was one incident. It's called uh, Crackgate. And what uh-huh. it was is one player went to a tournament and took selfies beside all the exposed ass cracks of the players who didn't have belts <laughs> on and like. And he just like it was okay, just then. you can you could Google it. It's it's hilarious. But uh, he ended up getting banned, and there was a lot of controversy in that. Like, why should he be banned? He was just taking pictures of butts, and people were like, "Well, he exposed my butt to the internet." So there's that. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I have a new favorite gaming story. <laughs> the The truth is, though, when I asked you, you know, what the thing you like least about it is, in some ways, I guess, you know, as someone who's been part of the gaming community off and on for years myself, and that I was expecting you to actually say the players. 
since, as we both know, uh, gamers of, uh, are of highly variable quality and hygiene. Um, again, people are starting to realize that, you know, being the smelliest person on Earth isn't helpful to their so- to their social interaction with other players. People mm-hmm. are a lot more vocal about it nowadays. Right, So if someone good. comes in and they smell bad, someone's just going to be like, dude, you fucking stink, go shower. Right. Okay, that's good. I'm glad to hear that. I mean, because that can't be good for bringing in new clients or kids or whoever if the guy next to them, like, hasn't showered in a month. I mean, the only other problem that players have is when they get salty when they lose. Like, we have a couple players that just throw fits Mm. every time they lose, and it just, it it kills games. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah, it kills the atmosphere, totally. I guess, but there's always going to be sore losers. That's just the way it is. Yeah. Hmm. (laughs) Crack gate. (laughs) Yeah. On that note, I think we're going to bring this session of the Department of Nerdly Affairs to a close. Thank you very much, James, for coming in and talking to us about collectible card games. That's been really fascinating. No problem. Anytime. Awesome. Well, we'll definitely have you on again at some point. So on that note, thanks for listening, everyone. And tune in in two weeks for another amazing podcast about something really cool. And always wear clean underwear. (laughs) And apparently cover up your butt crack. Good night, folks. Bye. Thanks for listening to the show. If you'd like to hear more or join the conversation, come visit us at ObeyTheDNA.com. You can also find us on iTunes or whatever fine podcast site forgot to lock their back door. So until next time, remember that to master the nerdly arts takes time, practice, and enough Coca-Cola to drop a rhino. See ya. See ya.